Hey, Speakeasy listeners, it's the Strategy Series. Minisodes that give you an actionable shot in the arm on marketing, media, and management. Grab a cocktail or not. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Language is changing fast. Between new habits and norms fostered through texts and tweets and new levels of scrutiny brought on by our current cultural shifts, it's worth taking some time to make some smart decisions about how your brand speaks, both online, in formal materials, and in person. And we're all so lucky that... Jen is here as our expert to talk us through this stuff. What do you want to talk about first? I think, you know, one of the things that is really funny about about language is you and I have had this conversation before. We say guys as a way to say you all. I grew up in a Southern family, y'all, but you guys has become like almost genderless, but it's not, that's not how it goes. So talk me through this. Right. And that's a really good place to start. You know, I've got a few points here that I want to go to and, and talking about gender neutrality is sort of the first one. And I'm with you saying, Hey guys is uh, second nature. I've done it for decades and it, it more and more is looked upon as not, not an okay piece of language and someplace we should not be. And, and so that leads you to thinking about gender neutrality in your language. And I'd like people to think about that with their brands. Um, easy places to start this is thinking about using the word spouse or the word child instead of using husband or wife, son or daughter, unless those specifics are important. But especially if it's someone you haven't met, you might ask about a spouse because you don't know what their spouse is. And do we even need the concept of husband or wife? There are other interesting things when you think about gender neutrality. Landlord could be replaced with property owner. Very easy. Maiden name could re- be replaced with a family name. And then when you really look into language, uh, maybe maybe it's because I took Latin in high school that this stuff interests me, although I'm dating myself because that was a long time ago. But, you know, the idea of spokesman or chairman or a businessman or freshman even, it's really worth auditing your brand language to move away from these words and replace them with non-gendered alternatives when you can. You know, one an example that speaks to me right now is, you know, annually I go through my policy manual and I've changed maternity leave to family leave. Right. That's a really good example. And I love that you're doing that on a regular basis. The other quick note on this topic of gender neutrality is that gender neutral language is different than gender inclusive language. And that's a whole episode unto itself. Mm-hmm. But I would encourage people to look into it. A quick example, the difference between folks, F-O-L-K-S, which is a nice replacement for guys and a casual term for people, versus folks, F-O-L-X, which signals an even broader and deeper meaning. And it's really worth some some research on your part. Yeah, I love that. So that's that's the first point. Well, so and and I think as you're talking about folks or guys, you know, that that in, in that gender neutrality that kind of leads us into pronouns. Yes. And you I don't think you can exist in 2020 without having noticed some people attending to their pronouns. And what that means is um, when you sign something like an email or you are on a video conferencing software, you might have your name and let people know that you are she, hers, her, him, his, they, giving people an indication as to what pronoun you respectfully attribute to yourself. And it's it's actually very easy. It's very thoughtful to consider someone's pronouns and and understand what they consider appropriate for themselves rather than you applying a pronoun to a person before you know. So it's really worth considering whether you you should have a company-wide policy on this. And honestly, it's not just inclusive. It's just plain helpful to new folks to understand and see the pronouns when I see someone's name. Absolutely. And then it's it's funny, you mentioned, again, folks, 
it that's become like a very casual thing. Talk me through some casual language, when to use it and when not to. Casual language, I think, is in some ways the hardest place because casual language often can set the tone and personality for your brand. However, it's so easy to fall into traps of things that are sexist in their origin or racist in their origin or just a bad idea. They could just be insensitive. So there's a couple of things. You know, there's the downright racist stuff like the peanut gallery, which in my childhood was always used as a term bantered around. But when you look into the origins of it, you don't want to use that term anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's There are cultural appropriations and insensitivities like spirit animal, which a few years ago and even to some extent now people bantered around. And really that comes from you know, that comes from a religious belief and you shouldn't use that lightly. Well, or talking about your friends as your tribe. Right. So thinking through what you're appropriating and what's insensitive. And then there's the seemingly benign. And I will use an example that I almost fell into earlier in the week. I was speaking to a colleague and my go-to has kind of been asking people during the pandemic, are you keeping your head above water? And I realized this person hadn't experienced a drowning in their family not long before. And if I would have used that term, it would have been incredibly insensitive. So it's really about maybe just extracting idioms from your language in your brand and understanding that you could use these things with a really good intention, but you have no idea how they will be received. So you should really rethink your language there. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. This one's hard. It's absolutely worth putting the effort into. It's hard when you're a creative writer. Um, it's easy to want to use or use as a crutch or lean on idioms uh, because it helps paint a picture. But um, yeah, it's, no. a good, it's a good one to, to audit. It is a good one to audit. And a good exercise is after you write something, go through and find every idiom you've used, strike it and use original language. Yep. Easy, easy to do. Yeah. It's about remembering and creating that as a habit. Yeah. You know, the the flip side of casual language, really, um, I think that there's an interesting shift right now where it's become acceptable to drop syllables and shorten words. My personal example is instead of saying though, T-H-O-U-G-H, the U-G-H, in my opinion, is 100% irrelevant. I don't need it on Twitter, therefore I don't need it anywhere. Um, However... Is that appropriate in business communication? Is that too casual? And when you understand looking at dropped syllables, there is a history to that too. And there's a cultural history to that that I would encourage people to look into. Mm-hmm. So understanding the behaviors that we're adopting, when they're culturally appropriate, when um, we're borrowing from where we shouldn't borrow, or when we're really inventing something new. I think it's good for your brand to take that kind of audit every once in a while. And I think it's circumstantial sometimes too. In your example, though, T-H-O might be good on Twitter or in a text or a Slack. Uh, It's not appropriate in a proposal. Correct. Uh, Speaking of shortened words, how about acronyms? Acronyms are my favorite thing to hate because... um, (laughs) You know, in in marketing, we're often we're often inserting ourselves into a client's ecosystem and trying to understand their language and communicate their language to people who don't understand their language. So, getting to know the acronyms is our job. And um, one of the things that is useful is being able to help clients understand when the acronyms are getting in the way of their end users' behavior or understanding. So, in some ways, with acronyms, I feel like if you're throwing them around, you're either being very technical and in your own head, which very smart people often are quite technical and they they use shortcuts like acronyms, or you're being the kind of person who's trying to use them to impress, which is really not not useful. So my advice with acronyms is to really audit your brand language, understand which ones should be reserved for internal conversations, 
when you should explain them, such as when you have a new team member who may know your acronyms, probably does, but it's very polite for you to spell them out so that they can get a good understanding. And really, how many of them should you pull away before you're doing external communications? And I think any organization could probably do that exercise and feel better at the end. What do you think about, you know, I mentioned my um, my policy manual earlier. For new hires, if you're in a really jargony um, industry and you have an onboarding, do you recommend putting a glossary of terms in the back so that that's helpful so that the new person doesn't constantly have to raise their hand and ask those questions? We do, absolutely. Not only in an employee manual, but um, to get new audiences on board with your messaging as a whole. So if you are bringing on new stakeholders, if you are bringing on new advocates, giving them that glossary so they can get up to speed with internal conversations. And so they have the language to explain that complicated acronym to people who need to understand it. A great example, and I'll use it because we all work in the college access space, is FAFSA, which is bantered around like a word. And I did a qualitative study of everyone in my house and everyone got it wrong. Free application for federal student aid, which is a lot of letters and a lot of words. But my teenagers couldn't tell me what FAFSA stood for. But they knew what it was. They knew what it was, but they didn't know what it stood for. Mm -hmm. And if you understand what it stands for, you can increase the understanding of the importance of the document and the action, right? So being able to describe what the acronym is explaining can end up being a marketing tool. That's great. Absolutely. What's what, any other nuggets for me today? My, my last one really would be to just get your elevator pitch unlocked. So this is pretty simple and most people understand what an elevator pitch is. But my question is, can you explain what you're about to someone who has never heard of you in three sentences or less? Do your coworkers use the same three sentences and the same words to describe what your organization does? And have you reviewed that language recently? Because I think this is a year of a lot of change. So just going through and understanding that you've got that elevator pitch on lock, everyone has the same language to use, it's consistent and it's accurate. It's a really good exercise. And I'll tell you, keeping your brand language healthy is kind of an ongoing process. It's not a one and done activity. You should make it a regular brand management task like you do with your employee manual. Maybe once a quarter, check on your external communications and see how those are going. And I really would encourage people to explain your efforts to everyone in your organization and why you're doing them and really then empower them to be on the lookout because if an intern can find an inappropriate use, that's hugely valuable. So there's just no no such thing as too many eyes to proofread and check your messaging. Uh, Jen, thanks. You've given us five really good nuggets to think about um, in terms of cleaning up our brand language. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you next time. 